What does pathological data indicate about vulnerable plaque, and how can we catch it before it's too late? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Renu Vermani, President and Medical Director of the CV Path Institute in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and Clinical Professor of Pathology at Georgetown University, University of Maryland, George Washington University, and Vanderbilt University. Dr. Vermani is internationally recognized and has received numerous awards and honors for her work in cardiovascular pathology. Dr. Vermani, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'd like to start, I guess, with some definitions and, and some of the things that actually cause or lead up to causing a heart attack or a luminal thrombus? You know, firstly, we must understand what we're calling as vulnerable plaque. Vulnerable plaque, or we've also called the thin-cap fibroathroma, these are lesions we think which are precursor lesions to plaque rupture, which causes a luminal thrombus. And the vulnerable plaque, the way we define it is it has a thin fibrous cap and has an underlying necrotic core, and the cap is infiltrated by macrophages and lymphocytes. And the cap is usually thin and very few smooth muscle cells are present in that cap. Now, this we think is a precursor lesion that goes on and ruptures afterwards and causes a luminal thrombus. Why it ruptures, of course, none of us understand, but we think hemodynamic forces as well as macrophage infiltration play a role. The question is, What are the causes of luminal thrombi? There are many causes. There are three causes that we have described. One of them is plaque rupture, which is the commonest, occurs in 70 to 75% of patients. And the other is plaque erosion, which occurs in 20 to 25% of patients. And then calcified nodule, which is very rare in the coronary arteries, occurs in about 2 to 5% of patients. So it's a smaller cause, but the main cause is plaque rupture, and the precursor lesion of this plaque rupture is known as the vulnerable plaque. And when you do autopsy studies, when you actually receive the arteries or the hearts of these patients that have died, you can actually identify these vulnerable plaques to be pretty consistent. Yes, we have looked at, in fact, the presence that how frequently do we see in patients who are dying with plaque rupture? And we see about two to three lesions in those who are dying with plaque rupture, a little less in those with stable plaques or heel plaque ruptures. And the least frequent are those who are dying of non-coronary deaths or are dying of plaque erosion. Plaque erosion, we believe, is a different disease and is not necessarily related to plaque rupture, we think that occurs from repeated thrombus formation. Is there anything you can identify histologically from someone who, let's say, has a heart attack from vasospastic disease and actually dies of that? Is there any evidence on autopsy? It's very hard to say that it was vasospasm that caused the death. We can sometimes see a thrombus, but we can't identify spasm because, as you know, after death, the postmortem interval, there is variable postmortem interval, and that we think that the smooth muscle cells should show us contraction. Some people have described it, but I don't believe one can really tell them, and we 
don't see that really contraction bands in at least our cases. I have not seen them. I've seen some very impressive pictures of electron micrographs of cholesterol crystals that are actually poking out of endothelial cells that can actually potentially trigger a clot. I'm not convinced of that. They are very nice pictures, but what you're seeing is more or less that these crystals do form. Cholesterol crystals are part and parcel of that necrotic core. And in fact, we believe those crystals actually, I don't believe that they poke through because in vulnerable plaques, then we should have seen some of those needles poking through. And we never see them. We only see those needles poking through the ruptured site. So I don't see them sitting on a fibrous cap. So I don't believe that they cause a real... If they do, it is very uncommon phenomenon. Well, I just wanted to ask you while I had you on the radio. I know there are people who believe in that and who are trying to convince the world that that is a main cause, but my experience is not that. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of cases, and I can tell you I have not seen them. Can you elaborate for our audience who may not be that clear on on soft plaque and hard plaques, the difference between... My impression is that a soft plaque is the one that's bad and a hard calcified plaque is not going to kill you. One of the things is that, yes, I'd say 80% of plaques have some calcification. Now, those who are dying from their plaques, 20% don't have calcification. So it's not that it depends on the age of the patient. The older the patient, the more the calcification. Now, those that are hard plaques, what we you call hard plaques, those are those are called as fibrocalcific plaques. Yes, they are mostly stable because they don't rupture, but they are the types of, if they are highly calcified, they form calcified nodules, those are the ones that can have surface thrombi. And those occur in only 2 to 5% of cases. So those are very rare, whereas the more common ones are the soft plaques that rupture, but they can have some calcification in that soft plaque. It's not to say that everything is soft but the large part of it is soft. Dr. Vermani, where does the calcium come from? Is that part of the healing process, or is it just part of aging? No, I think they are not necessarily part of aging. I think they come more from the fact that when cells die, the pH falls. So because the pH falls, the calcium, which is in circulation, precipitates there, and therefore you get calcification. Now, sometimes it forms large. Do we know every bit of calcium is formed that way? No, we don't. So we have different ways of knowing, of trying to understand this calcification. And overall, I think it's more from cell death that calcification occurs in these plaques than necessarily from any other. But there are plaques that calcify, for example, in patients who are in renal failure. Then, yes, this is not necessarily all cell death that gives rise to calcification, but there are other structures that can calcify secondary to high calcium circulating calcium. But aging as such, yes, when you get cell death by aging, as you know, senescent cells form. So they could calcify. Absolutely, with age, they do calcify too. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Renu Vermani, President and Medical Director of the CV Path Institute in Gaithersburg, Maryland. We're talking about vulnerable plaque and seeing if we can detect it before it's too late. I'd like to continue with the histology because this is the only histological stuff I find fascinating. I didn't really enjoy it too much in med school. 
But tell me about the role of the vasovasorum in leading to disease, because most people think it's just coming from inside the coronary artery. No, vasovasorum normally are present in the adventitial arteries. They don't go into the arterial wall, at least not in the coronary arteries, whereas in the aorta they do, depending on the ascending aorta versus descending aorta. But these vasovasorum, we think, are responsible for the hemorrhage that occurs commonly in plaques. One of the things that we have described some years ago in New England Journal, that the hemorrhage, the red cell membrane, contributes to the free cholesterol that is present, these cholesterol needles. So we became interested that where does this come from? And we showed nicely that if you actually inject red cells in an atherosclerotic rabbit artery wall, you can actually produce a necrotic core and you can produce free cholesterol there and even attract more macrophages. So that was our premises. And as it is, you can get free cholesterol anywhere in the body where there's a hemorrhage, whether it's in the lung or if it's in the pericardium or anywhere in the kidney, same way you can get cholesterol cleft deposition, which looks just like a necrotic core, and you get these foamy macrophages around. So that gave us an idea that they actually, the free cholesterol that is present in these plaques that are highly necrotic cores, very rich in free cholesterol, that it comes from hemorrhage. Now, why does hemorrhage occur? How, where does it come from? It probably comes from, most likely, from these vasovasorum that are supplying the plaque, because as the plaques grow, it gets short of oxygen. One of the things tissues requires is oxygenation. So hypoxia occurs. Because of hypoxia, these vasovasorum will try and get into the vessel wall, and so they invade the vessel wall and get into the intima. And once they're near a necrotic core, they sort of end blindly, and they actually are not very well formed, these vasovasorum. We've done some electron microscopy and shown that the endothelial cell junctions and are not very tight in these vasovasorum that are inside the plaque. And neither are they covered by smooth muscle cells, so pericytes, which are known as. And because they're not so well protected, these vessels, so they tend to leak whenever, because there are the tight junctions are not there. So that's what we believe that happens, and we're now doing more work in that area. Dr. Vermani, let's move on to diagnosing these things. Can you diagnose a vulnerable plaque non-invasively? I think there are clues. We try and do it with multi-slide CT, but there is no real non-invasive means by which we can definitely say these are vulnerable plaques. People also measure by CT, multi-slide CT, that, you know, calcium, the more the calcium in the heart, in the arteries, the more likely that patient is going to have another heart attack. Mm -hmm. So those are some things, but there are other ways of doing it. Now they've got OCT, which is known as optical coherence tomography. That also, there are catheters that you take in, but the disadvantage is that patient has to be catheterized, right. and then you have to flush the artery so that you can visualize that region. Then you can measure, actually, the thickness of the fibrous cap. People have said they can do it by IVUS. I'm not convinced. The resolution of I IVUS is good enough because the fibrous cap thickness has to be less than 65 microns. OCT has a resolution of about 15 to 20 microns, whereas IVUS has a resolution of about 200 to 250 microns. So, therefore, it's unable to do 
In the carotid, yes, you could look at by MRI. That's a possibility. But again, the resolution is not so good. There's a company, Volcano, that does IVIS, and I think they bought another company that does the OCT. So is the combination a good combination? Do they fit? Absolutely. It's a good combination because the disadvantage of OCT is it doesn't go very deep into the vessel wall. It can only go 2 to 3 millimeters in depth, or at best 5 millimeters in depth. Whereas in the case of IVAS, it can do three millimeters, four millimeters in depth. So therefore, it has the advantage you can measure the arterial wall. One of the things we didn't talk about in these vulnerable plaques, these arteries are positively remodeled. That means they are bigger than the artery proximal or distal to it. And that also gives you a suggestion that this is a vulnerable plaque, is another way of diagnosing. But it's not definite because it is dependent on the amount of inflammatory cells, macrophages there are. So the combination is a good one if they make it. Well, Dr. Renu Vermani, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. If you'd like to comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit our website at reachmd.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, we will give you six months free of streaming ReachMD you can listen to at home or at work. You can also reach us now by phone with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM157. And thanks for listening.